And the day my daughter was born, I had a message left on my voicemail saying that uh, I had to work for free or I was fired. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. I am very excited to bring you talent agent Michelle Govan. She's got a great 10,000 Knows story as her thriving agency was born out of a shocking discovery of her then husband, just as her daughter was being born. To say that she had to overcome adversity is an understatement. We touch on that, but we also do a deep dive into the acting industry. We recorded this during COVID quarantine just before her city of Vancouver was about to reopen. So we discussed the rapidly changing times. I think actors will find the specificity of our industry talk helpful, but the rest of you will also likely see some major parallels to your own industries. I love Michelle's tenacity as she literally built performers management, her agency, from the ground up and is now expanding into Los Angeles as well. She reps some very successful actors and it's obvious that she cares deeply about her clients. I'm also excited because since our conversation, Michelle has launched her own podcast, Inside the Agency, which the actors among you should definitely go check out. Speaking of checkout, if you use the code Del Negro15 at checkout, when you order $25 or more at poopery.com, you get 15% off your order. Now, what is poopery? Well, among other things, they are our sponsor for today's episode. We love that. But what they do, they are really a solution for households. You can ask my wife, you can ask my kids. Uh, they make me tolerable. Here's what you do. You simply spray the bowl before you go to the bathroom and a layer of essential oils traps bathroom odor before it begins. It is guaranteed. It's available in a variety of scents and sizes so that every bathroom is stocked. They've got a new hand sanitizer. It's a moisturizing blend of coconut and lavender. Kills 99.9% .9 of germs in 15 seconds. They are also uh, donating 10% of their profits to Texas charities and additional quantities are being donated to medical professionals in need. And as I said, all you have to do is use code DELNEGRO15 for 15% off your order of $25 or more on poopery.com. Now, a few brief things before we get to Michelle. If you dig this show, please share it with your friends. We would love for more people to hear what's happening at 10,000 No's and be inspired by it. So please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts to help our visibility. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of these episodes when they come out every Monday and Friday. Short solos on Mondays, longer conversations with guests on Fridays. And if you'd like to join the tribe, go to 10,000nos.com and sign up for our Monday Morsels newsletter. It's quick, it's simple. We'd like to think it adds some value to your week. And if you're not already, go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 10,000 Knows. All right, enough of me. I give you Michelle Govan. Walk us through 
where you were in terms of how old you were, how long you were married for, kind mm-hmm. of did you see did you see being an agent was that on your radar at that point or Absolutely what were not. you doing? No. Like, what were you doing prior to all of this? Like growing up, did you have any idea you're going to be in the entertainment industry? I wanted to be a solid gold dancer when I was six years old. So I guess I did have some inkling that I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. No, I, I actually was in marketing. I started with Shane Lenny Productions and Much West Much Music. I landed a job uh, with Shane Lenny because I had offered to nanny his kids. I used to sell him toys at Bear's Toy Store in West Vancouver. And he used to ask, he used to call and say, hey, my daughter has her birthday and I don't have a gift. Can I drive by and just charge my visa for the coolest toy you have and throw it in the back of my vehicle? I'll pull to like 10 kilometers an hour and just throw it in my car as I drive by. So that's how I met Shane Lunny. Convinced I don't, him I I don't think I know Shane Lunny, actually. So, so I don't think a lot of people do. He was kind of the first person that did simulated rides for the Philippines, Singapore. He was ahead of the curve. Like he, I shouldn't even use that word curve right now with lockdown <laughs> curve. It's just got a whole other meaning. There's a couple words I don't want to hear after this lockdown situation. That's one of them. <laughs> Social distancing needs to die. Um, but anyways, going back, uh, Shane was just this amazing entrepreneur and he created Now Communications, which was a huge advertising agency. Um, absolute design and post, which he did again, simulated rides and really cool shit. And I was his receptionist. I convinced him to become his receptionist and he taught me so much. Like he would let me help with much Westmitch music and assist with Terry David Mulligan at the time it was supposed to turn into MTV and Moses Snymer was supposed to come up. And that's kind of how I had got my start. I kind of was going to marketing and in university. And then I got this job and then I actually lost my placement at the university, they actually did a cut. They didn't have enough of us getting below a grade average. So they actually just took a, a random cut and cut a bunch of us. And we got a letter at Christmas saying, thanks, but you're done. What year? We, this is in Vancouver or this is yeah, somewhere Yeah, it was else? in Vancouver. It would have been 1993. But I mean, what year were you in, college, in, in university? Were you like first year? 92 to second? 93. Yeah, it was first year. First year. And, and that was it. So yeah. you're born and raised in Vancouver. Yes. Yeah, so my fa- family's English, but okay. I was raised here. Yeah. You were raised here. Okay. And so you're, so you, you get cut, you're already working for him. You're about say 18 or 19 ish. I'm guessing you're yes. And you're, and what's the track at that point? Or there was no track. You didn't really know what you were going to be doing. I loved marketing. Like I was in university to learn about marketing and then I had this amazing job. So when I lost my placement at my university, I decided, okay, I'm just going to dive in and work for this man, chain money. And then I was in a car accident probably about six months later and I lost my job and I had some healing to do. And then I got offered a job uh, doing buying and merchandising in a kid's clothing store. It was simple. It was easy, but that's when I found out I was pregnant. So I was married at 19 pregnant at 21, lost my job and needed a job. So luckily an old internship that I had done a couple of years prior was for an ad agency and bumped into one of the workers. And they said, well, listen, we're looking to create an ad agency in house. Would you come and do this for us? So I went in and said, yes, I mean, pregnant, unemployed, needing a job. Uh, I worked for them for about 
four months, went into labor. And the day my daughter was born, I had a message left on my voicemail saying that uh, I had to work for free or I was fired because the company wasn't making enough profits. So I created my own company two weeks later with a newborn baby. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. So how did they get away with that? I mean, they just, that was, you know, I think going back 23 years ago, I mean, again, I got fired because I got pregnant. I got fired because the company wasn't making enough money. I mean, the rules are very different now. The laws are very different now, but then you, you could get away with a lot. It was, it was a shame. So, yeah. Wow. So, so what, at that point, how quickly do you pivot? I mean, you've got a newborn, how do you, (laughs) I mean, how do you logistically do that? You're married. You've got a newborn, you just got fired and you started a company. Well, and then add on top of that, that my husband had been accused of fraud. Our bank accounts had been frozen about three weeks before and he had lost his job. So my income was severed that day. So we couldn't even afford to pay our rent that month. I had a newborn baby in my arms and let's just say I stopped lactating because who knew this, but stressful means no milk. So I couldn't even feed my own child. So it was just this complete disaster. And, uh, I looked down at this little face and went, I got to do something. I got to do something. And I think that night holding her, nursing her, I just thought I can do this. I can try to create my own talent agency. And, and I'd barely worked for this other person. I had never interned in an agency before. I literally was given a job to do and I had to create it. So even when I started with this previous company, uh, at the ad agency, I had to go, I had to find like the BC film list and just cold call casting directors, try to find what was casting. I wasn't even on the services because to get on the services, to be an agent, you have to have references, which how do you get a reference when a cast director has never worked with you? So it's this whole situation. So I actually had to, you know, go get new references I had to borrow a, a very old computer, which at the time computers were still pretty new. I had to borrow a fax machine and I paid $8 for a pager. And I think I had about $10 left in the bank other than that. And we were broke. That was it. It was all wishing and prayer. That was it. Wow. And, and so you described the, the previous job as an ad agency, as opposed to a talent agency. Am I getting that right? Or was it different? And, and what made you what made you go toward the talent side versus, uh, you, you know, what, what was it about the old job that made you say, okay, I'm going to do a talent agency. I'm going to represent talent. I think, you know, when I was 15, I was scouted by some modeling agencies in, in New York and even Eileen Ford. And she offered me to come live in her house. And that's where she groomed Sidney Crawford, Naomi Campbell, and all, all the big, you know, A-lister models. So, uh, I think at the time, I had a very sick mom. She had cancer and she was, she just passed away when I got offered this Ford contract. And my dad said, you can't take it. So I think what happened to me is when I fell into this ad agency, creating a talent agency, I all of a sudden became an advocate for actors. You know, I would go and search out these actors. I'd go to acting classes and I, I, I kind of had a knack for just feel having intuition on talent. It wasn't so much because I wasn't experienced. It wasn't like I had all these years of experience of knowing good talent. I just had this feeling and I'd see an actor and I, I'd get a feeling. And then when I lost this job, because my daughter was born, I thought I'm meant to do this. I'm meant to be an advocate. I'm meant to stand up and say, this person has talent. This person can do this. Create opportunities. But how do you like, 
how do you physically, logistically do that with a newborn in your arms and not really knowing anybody and, and like, where does one begin and what did you, you know, kind of like, (laughs) what did you, um, how did you navigate that? Like, what did you have a, an actual, I'm imagining you did not have an actual office space. This was just out of home. I was living in a basement suite. I had an old roll top desk that I had inherited from my mom and I had this Mac computer and a fax machine. And it was next to my fridge in my kitchen, in my basement suite. And just the fact of that I actually invited actors into that space and they trusted me to give me a shot. I mean, I'm so grateful to those people. I mean, they saw me standing there with a newborn baby exhausted, you know, with this archaic equipment for the time. And there's, I don't know, I guess I'm a good salesperson because I made it happen. And for some reason, I actually started booking large jobs right off the bat. I started grooming kids first and I actually, I had no roster. So the start was really, first I had to get back on breakdown services, which is our main service. So I went to the cast managers houses with my newborn baby and I, I packaged a binder of kids and actors that I had found and, and solicited myself and actually had their headshots taken for free. So I I created these binders and actually took them to the casting director's homes and knocked on their door. And I'm like, Hey, I'd I'd really like to start my own company, but I need your help. I need your support. And I had my letters within two days. So I got back on the service. That was the first, that was the first step because again, these actors had no experience. I, I literally walked up to, to kids in malls and parents and just people with great looks. And then I, luckily I was able to sit in on a, it was called the Actors Working Academy. They don't exist anymore, but this film school that used to have an office above the ad agency. So I had gotten to know them. So I started calling them saying, can I come in and, and watch some of your new actors? So what it was is I created this little group. I think I only had like 10 talent at the time, eight, if that, but I managed to get back on the service, managed to start submitting, and then it just grew from there. But yeah, a lot of dedication, a lot of uh, perseverance, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what What I find cool about this is that, you know, prior to us actually recording, you know, we were talking about myself and my reps and we were talking about big agencies and, you know, boutique agencies and both saying that it's not always the size of the agency, it's the the agent or manager's connection to the talent and their ability to really believe and really advocate. And so I I love that, you know, it doesn't matter that you had, uh, you know, a baby strapped to you. It's like people probably yeah. saw the passion in your eyes and said, okay, we'll, we'll give her a shot. Maybe they didn't have other options. I don't know. Maybe they did, but whatever it is, it seems like you somehow found a way to make it work. I'm interested. You said you had about 10, uh, actors on your, on your roster. How many do you have now? 80. 80. Yeah. Do you have other agents working under you? Are you solo? Are you? I, so I'm more like a Jerry Maguire. People have called me a Jerry Maguire or an Ari Gold for years, but I do have uh, an executive assistant who basically I treat as a partner, even though she is my assistant. Uh, she's, she's a big part of it. 
She's been with me for four years. She's incredible. She, th- she always predicts what I'm about to say and think. So thank God for her. And, you know, I'm really grateful that even during this time of lockdown that we are still continuing to work together because she's too important to me. But uh, going back to what you were saying is this is a hard part too, is, you know, there's a lot of big agencies in Canada. There's a lot of big agencies in the States. And I see this all the time when I'm placing an actor with either an American agency, or even if an actor really wants an agent on the other side of Canada, like in Ontario or Quebec, uh, it's rare that I, I should rephrase this. The bigger agencies. Yes. I have definitely great connections and great agents that I believe in and I trust with my talent. But a lot of the time I do try the underdog or I do try someone who might be a bit more boutique because I find after what I experienced and who I am and what I was able to achieve, it's not about the size of the company. It is about the passion. Now, the agent has to have connections. The agent has to have drive. The agent has to have that that factor of, I'm going to make this happen. I'm not recommending going to the smallest agency you can find. It's the agent that's right for you, the agent that is connecting with you. It's also relationships. I love all my talent. They're like family to me. So just, you know, that number does sound large 80. It's because we also have a commercial division. So it's not just film and TV talent. And you're all, all across the board in terms of, um, ages now. And you started out, it seemed like your niche was younger. How, how young were they? I only would go as low as four. I still have that rule. I, I even prefer six now, but four, four, I can train. I actually trained my first two actors that booked their first two jobs. I trained them, coached them and drove them to the appointment. I made sure the parents stayed out of the waiting room and I waited with them and I coached them all the way to the door and I booked my first two jobs. That's amazing. And, and yeah. what is the relationship like with the parents? Because I would imagine when you, you know, one of the challenges of representing kids is that you're not just representing the kid. Now you have the parents as well. And I, you know, I've seen it firsthand that could be, um, you know, you can, you can, that could get tricky. I I interview the parents more than I interview the kids. I know the moment that kid walks to the door that I want to rep them. The same with adults. I have an instinct. The moment I see them takes me about I would say less than 30 seconds. My assistant watches it in my eyes too. She can always tell when a meeting is done. When someone walks in and I'm not interested, I put my head down. She says, oh, it's the case. If not, I don't lose eye contact. (laughs) If I really want to rep these people. Um, But normally I don't even interview people unless I already know I want to rep them. So uh, yeah, the parents, I definitely take some time. Uh, I luckily I have amazing parents to my talent. What what is it if you could put your finger on it and maybe you can't, maybe it's such a, an enigmatic quality, but for people that are listening, cause a lot of, a lot of young actors, you know, kind of a, there's a, there's a wide spectrum of, of listeners here, but a lot of them are young actors and I'm sure listening to this particular episode will be young actors. So wh- what is it, what are, you know, on both ends of the spectrum, the signs that you go, huh, this person's interesting to me. I might give it a shot with them versus, oh no, stay away from me. This person's going to be cray cray. I'm not, you know, <laughs> even if they're talented, like, you know, wh- how do you, what are some of the criteria that you are looking at? Well, for me, it's, I always say to actors, if you're a new actor starting out, send me classwork. 
Don't just send me a headshot and resume. Send me a scene that you've done in class that you're really, really proud of. Show me something you can do. And right away, like I'll look at a headshot first. I won't even look at the cover letter. I can't stand cover letters, but that's me personally. I want a few lines of something amazing about you and, you know, a nice intro. What's funny is the intro of emails is super important. And some people are still very traditional and write emails to dear sirs. That's the first delete. If you do that, I don't even read it. Delete. If you CC every agency in Canada with me, delete. We won't even respond. If you address it personally to me, headshot first, then I'll watch your demo or scene work, then I'll go to the resume, and then I might read the letter. But what I'm looking for is something special. I need someone to... uh, I need them to impress me, but in a way that I forget where I am. So if I'm watching even scene work, I can tell if I lose myself in it, I love them. Like if they've put me, if they've transported me into what their work is, I'm in love with them. And I have to feel that intuition. I have to feel that instinct of like, this is something special. So you have to affect your audience. Don't give us something that is typical. And I don't mean do something really strange. I mean, just do great work. Be authentic in your work. The biggest thing for me is be authentic. Yeah. So let's say somebody comes across your desk. You like the headshot enough to look at their scene work. You see their scene work. You're transported into it. You're really rooting for them. You're thinking this is it. And then you meet them or you read the cover letter, whatever it is. It has, are there ever times when, um, someone could be, they have everything that you think you need and then they just blow it up with their behavior. Yes. All the time. One of the biggest mistakes, one of the, I think what the biggest mistakes is too, is, is we are so busy. And if we've scheduled a time to meet you, it's because we've carved out time for you. We have people that just don't show up. They're complete no-shows with no notice. And the other one is being super late. That right away bothers me because we're watching you to see how you'll behave when we send you an appointment. If you're late for us, are you going to be late for casting? Wait a second. So they have solicited you. They've sent you everything. You Mm -hmm. liked it. You set up an appointment and they don't show or they show up late? Yeah, we get the occasional no-show and we get a ton of late. A ton of late. A ton of late? hmm Yeah. And then what's even better is sometimes they'll walk in like they've just woken up, not done. Like, look, we don't want you to be fancy, but we want you to be every day. Like how you'd walk around, hang out with friends, be you. Uh, and then we've... <laughs> We've also had people that we, I have a big thing. I like to read talent. Unless you have a big demo, I want to read you. So I want to actually sit with you and get creative with you. And sometimes clients will come in or potential clients and, and oh, I just looked at this five minutes ago. And again, you're giving us an idea of how you're going to do when we send you for appointments, how you're going to be prepared. These are all, well, these are all signs. We're watching on all these areas. (laughs) I'm, I'm blown away by, I'm kind of just blown away by that stat. Um, Okay. So do you suspect, are they, is there some kind of self-sabotage going on in this situation? I feel so. I actually, I have a thing, again, my assistant was, was, we always have a 
full conversation after I've met someone, because it's always interesting. Every actor I'll, I'll try to really dig deep. Like I won't just surface talk with them. I want to know about them because I, a lot of actors will come in and either they're nervous or they want to present themselves a certain way, but I want to kind of pop the hood. I want to look underneath and be like, what are we really dealing with? You know? And, and so I will try to get them a little emotional in the meeting but it's always different how I approach it. Cause I'll, I'll watch how they're behaving. And if it's a guy coming in with a bit of an ego, I'll try to strip that ego down. If it's a girl coming in with uh, very guarded, I'll try to bring that guard down. And again, because I want to know what I'm really dealing with. Cause again, this is a very intimate relationship, agent actor. It's, it's not like your success is my success and vice versa. If you stink up a room or I can't do my job, we're not making any money and we're definitely not making any magic or, or getting your career moving forward. So it's a real, I think the intuition I even get on actors is almost kind of how I've done when I've dated, you know, it's that feeling, that connection, that energetic pull. You're like, I need to work with this person. Right. So I agree. I agree. There is a, I, I try to tell young actors all the time. It's like, yes, it's a given that you need to be great in the rooms because there's so much competition, but also just, you know, I, I don't know how else to say this, but don't be completely bananas, you know, don't be, you know, just, just have some, some kind of wherewithal in terms of, you know, showing up, like you're saying, showing up on time, showing up at all. I mean, I, I, I'm still stuck Show on up. that. <laughs> I, I cannot, I cannot believe that, that the, after they're seeking you out, that they then blow off the, the appointment. It's, it's, it doesn't uh, happen a lot, but because we are so cautious, like I think last year we probably only took maybe 15 meetings. So if two blows us off, it's quite a big amount. Cause again, I don't just meet everybody that sends me. I think we get, um, I would estimate about 200 submissions a month minimum. And I will narrow it down and pick maybe one to two, because again, I want to keep it boutique. I want to keep it more of a management situation. So I want to make sure that we don't take on, a, you know, big numbers. We want to keep our numbers down. So for me, if you don't show up and I've given you this one space out of 15 in a year, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then I'll see them that they've signed with some, you know, lower end agency. And it's a shame, you know, again, you know, you have to interview us as much as we are interviewing you. Yeah. So, so talk to me about Vancouver. Uh, you are, you're based there, but you have actors that are in LA. I'm imagining you have actors that are in New York now and maybe elsewhere. Yeah. Um, do they, so they work in conjunction, like you work in conjunction with, with agents that are local to those spots where they are, or do you do everything from? I do everything. It's, yeah. it, it's kind of, it's almost like how I started because I started with nothing and I didn't really know what I was doing and I was winging it every day. I kind of, I continued on that path. And what I mean by winging it is instead of seeing a no, or this isn't possible, or I was like, I can make this happen. In other words, I have clients that I felt should have been wrapped in the United States, but we couldn't get them rep to be interested. They were still a bit new, but I had this gut feeling. So instead I would submit them to LA. This we're backing up like 15 years ago and I'd get them appointments. So I just started representing like I was managing out of LA, but also repping out of Canada. Yeah. I just wanted those clients to have those opportunities. But then of course, as I got larger and my clients got larger, I started connecting with more and more managers and agents out of LA. And of course we would do the whole 10, 10 split and, but we'd never really have a jurisdiction. I always said, if a manager or agent came on, we would cover it together. So I've always covered North America. 
I've always done it. And then I got my visa actually two years ago. So I tried to create a hybrid of managing in the States and representing as an agent in Canada. But that's also specific to the fact that Canadian actors now crossing over to the States, a lot of the times are recommended to have an agent and a manager, but they still want to keep their Canadian agent. But when you have three, it's a seven, seven, seven split. And a lot of the big agencies, like we've talked out when we first started talking about APA and UTA, CAA, they don't want to do a 10, 10, a seven, seven, seven. They want to do a 10, 10. So I thought was if I get my visa, I can manage my clients out of Canada and the States, only get a large agency and I'll represent them in Canada. So that started about two years ago. But yeah, I've been cross-border representing for 15 years. Started when I booked a client on a US show and Malcolm, who was on Breakout Kings with my client, Serena Swan, asked me if I would rep one of his friends out of the States. So about 12 years ago, I repped this gentleman out of the States, but from Canada. And he had no rep in the States and I was booking him all the time. Yeah. And that's how it started. And then it just kind of change from there. But again, you got to look at the fact that a lot of American shows are shot in Canada. So it's really cool is if you get a really creative agent, the agent will rep- push you on U.S. soil to the U.S. casting, push you on Canadian soil to the Canadian casting, whichever relationship they have a better relationship with, they attack that side. So quite often I will represent a client out of the U.S., but push them through Canadian casting because I have a stronger relationship with them, get them testing on U.S. soil. So there's, you know, there's ways. Yeah. Just got to get creative. Like I said, you just got to keep going. Don't take any no's. <laughs> we are supported by Poopery. If you got to go, but you don't want the whole house to know you just went, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, fess up. That's why we have Poopery. Simply spray the bowl before you go and a layer of essential oils traps bathroom odor before it begins. Sound crazy? Sure. But guess what? It works. In fact, they guarantee it. It's available in a variety of scents and sizes so that every bathroom is stocked. And now Poopery offers hand sanitizer too, a moisturizing blend of coconut and lavender that kills 99.9% of germs in 15 seconds. But it's not just about the bathroom odor. Here's why I love it and endorse it. Poopery liberates everyone from toxic thoughts and ingredients, not just the product, the company. That's their mantra. They do so much more for their community. 10% of profits are being donated to Texas charities and additional quantities are being donated to medical professionals in need. And now for 10,000 Nose listeners, you can use code DelNegro15 for 15% off your next order of $25 or more when you check out at poopery.com. Again, that code is DelNegro15. And now back to the show. My question for you that, you know, it's particular because this, you know, we're going into the nitty gritty, by the way, anybody listening, when we're talking about 1010 or 777, that's just 10% as an actor, 10% of your, you commission your act, your manager, 10%, you commission your agent, 10%. If you have a lawyer, it's 5%. So that's what we're talking about there with those 1010 or 777 splits. But I wanted to ask you, and, and, and this could kind of cross over to other listeners that are, um, you know, entrepreneurs and, and such, that the idea of, you know, being, I always think of, and, and maybe this is egotistical because these are, these are the two cities I was in, uh, but New York and LA as kind of, you know, the big meccas of this business. Now you're in Vancouver, which has a ton of work. I've worked, I've worked up there. There's a ton of production going on. What do you see as the advantage of being in a, I mean, would you call it a secondary market in a way? I'm thinking of like- No, actually we have more work than New York. So it's, it's California, 
Vancouver, well, LA, Vancouver, New York. And then it would go to towns like Toronto. And then I guess it would skew off. Because of course Atlanta's busy. Yeah. But what yeah, but do you still think that shows that are that are being shot in Vancouver, are they casting Canadians that live in Vancouver as series regulars, or are they going first to New York and LA and bringing them in? They normally go, so it depends on the network, but normally the U.S. networks will always audition across the board. So across North America, I mean, they'll even audition in the U.K. They just want to find the right client, right? So it's not just U.S. soil anymore. It's anywhere in the world if you're the right person. I mean, there's a pilot being cast right now, and if you can believe it, it's actually being cast right now during this time. Uh, You have to speak Japanese, Korean, and English. I mean, come on, that is a rare combination. So they are searching the globe. So it doesn't matter if that's going to shoot in Vancouver, but they're going to search Korea, Japan, you know, New York, everywhere. So for us, what we find is that we, LA tends to get the breakdown about a day or two before us with the pilot and then Vancouver release the breakdown. So as long as you're auditioning within the first week or so of a pilot, two weeks, you know, you're going to be considered, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the big roles still go to the U S market still goes to U S clients. So that's why actually what's ironic is a lot of my Canadians that have moved to LA, we tend to book them on LA soil and bring them back. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's not surprising. I mean, that's really what my question was, was the, you know, whatever industry someone is in that's listening, you know, realizing that you may not be, you don't necessarily, you can actually have an advantage by being outside of the prime, you know, LA is, I think, historically considered the, the, the center of film and TV, but you can have an, an advantage, especially as a young actor being in a Vancouver market. Maybe it's easier. I, I'm sure it's still incredibly hard, but maybe there are more opportunities for shows that are shooting in Vancouver. They cast their leads out of LA or New York possibly, but their their guest roles, their recurring roles, they're going to go, if they can find a local hire, they'll do it. So it's smart. Yeah. I mean, I know, I remember doing a film in uh, New Orleans in 2015. And there were like, it was at the time when Louisiana had the the tax credits. So we were shooting there. I think it was like a $35 million movie. I think like Terminator, there were like, you know, there were like six movies being shot that were, the other ones were like hundred million dollar movies. And I remember talking to the stunt guys on our, uh, on our set. And they said they were, they, they, they lived elsewhere. And then when the tax cut happened in Louisiana. They all moved to New Orleans. And then shortly after that, everybody went to Georgia. Because, you know, Louisiana lost the, the tax incentive and everybody moved to Atlanta. And the and the stunt guys, they followed it because yeah. that's where the work was. And, yeah. and I always say to young actors, you can go to New York or LA. I mean, I went to New York and then something brought me to LA, but you can also go cut your teeth in another town where you can get miles on the road and get well, some I, more experience. I think the biggest thing too is I think if you have other passports, super important for your reps or for you to utilize those. So I have clients that have an Australian passport, a UK passport, you know, Irish passport. Like I need to know what your passports are because of course, well, we're in a different situation now because travel's gonna be restricted. But before, I would just make sure that I hit up all those areas. Because again, you just need the client to start. You just need to get that ball rolling. Uh, I also have clients that have now got their Canadian residencies and they're really excited because they're probably going to pop up here because we're actually coming out of lockdown this week. So we're going to start filming in June. You are. 
Yeah. That's very interesting to me because I just, I have uh, one of my neighbors across the street, literally before we sat down, uh, produces a lot of uh TV, you know, films for TV in Vancouver and was just talking about, well, actually, I guess he was talking about going across the border from the U.S. to the border. So yeah. they're looking There's elsewhere. There's a quarantine, 14-day quarantine yeah. to cross. So, yeah. So, so it, it's, yeah, we're in a, in a very interesting time is the understatement <laughs> of the century right now. And yeah. every industry, um, I was on the phone with someone earlier today who's in the real estate industry and he's talking about the the effects there. And I said, yeah, well, we're, you know, we don't know. People have guesses of what's happening next, um, but we don't know. So what what are your kind of, how, how do you operate, for example, in a situation like this, what's your, I'm just, I want to kind of get into your mindset because what you did going from having the rug pulled out from from underneath you as a 19, 20, 21 year old and starting your own company, you just have, obviously there's resilience there and there's reframing. What do you do in a situation like right now? How are you approaching what we're in the midst of right now? So I'm, I'm really struggling with how this is being handled. And at first I was just trying to be patient and allow Trudeau and Trump to handle our future. And then I thought, you know, no, filming should be essential. I feel it should be essential. Filming, if you think about it, what is keeping us calm every day? Crave, Apple TV, uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime. You know, what are we really, other than going out for walks or cooking? Come on. We're really focusing on, on being entertained in our homes to keep us calm. So I actually wrote to Trudeau four times kept saying filming should be deemed essential. If you can deem WWE or WWF, WWE, right? In yeah. Florida was deemed essential a month ago. So you can have world wrestling, but you can't have filming. So to me, I'm a little confused of how this is all being handled, but this is, I wrote to Trudeau saying, why can't we sequester actors? Why can't we do like a camp film? So take the hotels that are all vacant, bring the clients in, test them as they come in, and then keep them there. The filming would happen completely in the hotel. If you think about it, we have the catering, the restaurants, we have the boardrooms, we have the ballrooms, and we have rooms. What can we not achieve in a hotel? And then they're outside gardens. So I was, you know, I was trying to position us in a way that we could be helping the economy, but also staying safe. So the whole idea would be test everybody coming in, fever test everybody every day, and shoot within a contained area. So I actually saw it on a press, I believe it was deadline that someone has come up with that in LA as well. So if you can believe it, it might be camp filming, like you're going off to camp and you don't get to leave. Um, but I've also heard that, you know, because see in Canada, our numbers are so low and it's all senior citizens. We're really, we have such small numbers. I think we're at 99% are elderly in Canada that are sick. So our numbers are just very different than the United States. But what I've heard is first for us, it's going to be commercials that have just started to come back filming from your home, auditioning from your home. So guys, everyone have their self tape studio set up, <laughs> set up a small room, wall, whatever you've got. And then it's going to be movie of the weeks and soap operas. Soap operas first, because they can have a small cast and crew. Then we're going to go to movie of the weeks. It's going to take till fall to get the series going. I've heard October. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I'm in the middle of a season of, of TV that was shooting in New York and, uh, yeah, we're in the midst of, we don't, you know, nobody knows anything they're anticipating, uh, coming back cause it's a second season. Um, but then I've heard from people not on the show, but just from my reps talking about their other clients and they were talking about something similar to what you're saying. And they were saying, who knows, are they going to rewrite scripts to favor the regulars? Because for, if you think about it for a guest star or a recurring, uh, actor, you're adding bodies. You, yeah. You're yeah. going to have to yeah. fly in. You're going to have to be two weeks quarantined, do the work, two weeks quarantined on the back end. Do they want to pay someone you know, four weeks for one day's work. No. Yeah. So maybe they're going to write around it. So, well, and you're also talking about not even just losing guest stars. We're going to lose the day players, all those actors that are trying to develop their careers. That's going to fall at the wayside till we have a vaccine. So that makes me sad that we're going to lose a lot of the smaller roles, but keep in mind, we now have the antibody tests that are being done in California. I know we're only just got the approval two days ago in Canada. So the good news is, as far as I understand, is if we can test the actors, whoever has antibodies, because a lot of us were asymptomatic, we don't know. Supposedly half of us have it, had no idea. That's yeah. what the estimation is. So we can test people and find out if they had antibodies, well, then they shouldn't be quarantined. They can't catch it again. That's what's been proven. So they can shoot. So I'm not recommending go get coronavirus, but you know, <laughs> stay safe, please. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. I mean, I, it's so hard. I've had so many people apply to the agency and, and international clients. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Until I can see what's going to happen with travel, I can't talk about representing you right now. Yeah. And then again, the funniest breakdown I've seen that's come across the systems is Hallmark and Lifetime looking for quarantine partners you know, a male and female that have been quarantining together, there's a good chance they're going to be love interests because they can kiss, they can get close, they can hold hands, but everyone else have to be six feet away. So that's the new idea. It's like, okay, any of these shows that need love interests, they would have to be actor couples. So again, it's, it's going to be a creative time, but if any of us, I think could do it, it's going to be the film industry. We're creative enough to create an environment to make this work. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just wish, I don't understand where we're being put with concerts you know, restaurants are going to start opening first and malls, but we can't film. I'm yeah. a bit confused, but yeah, agreed. So I'm going to take you back be, before I, I don't want to let you go without kind of finding out the, the trajectory of your, your company, because you're really in, in Vancouver, you're Kind of the go-to from what I've heard, I mean, in terms of your agency and the kind of the power and the, and the, uh, where you are, um, status wise, when did you, you know, you kind of talked about your humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you one to realize, okay, I can do this. Like this is happening. I'm actually making this work. And two, when did you really become a player in the scene? Was it immediately? Did you struggle for a few years? Did you have any point when you thought maybe there was a setback that you thought I'm going to have to shut it down? Yeah, no. So, so I, for me, it was quite instant. Um, as soon as I started representing 
with my young baby within two months, I was making more money than I'd ever had in my whole life. Now that wasn't a lot of money. We're talking $3,000 a month, but that was double what I was making for this previous employer. And that just grew from there. Now, unfortunately I did go through a bad divorce, uh, when I was 27 and that got messy and, uh, it definitely made things hard, but I continued <laughs> to prevail. I would say that was with the same, the same husband that you were yeah. I've only so, been married once. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we split about six years later. And, uh, I remember that's when I first started going to LA right before we split, I started making a mark for myself on LA soil. So, I mean, we're going back 17 years ago. It's been a long time, but when I, when I started to achieve a lot of success was probably within the first four years. The only thing is, as I decided to follow love and in 2010, I ended up moving to Barcelona, Spain with my boyfriend. He got transferred. And at the time, 2008 was not friendly to the film industry. If you remember in 2009, no. I mean, we were, we were on bare bones. So I had this opportunity to move. I had my passport, my UK passport, which at the time allowed me to do anything. Uh, and I moved. And I remember right before I moved, I had two actors that said, I don't care if you're moving, you're going to continue representing me because I was going to amalgamate my company with an agency in Vancouver. So I went ahead and amalgamated majority of my company with the agency in Vancouver. I moved to Spain and these two actors would not let me go. And they stayed with me. And then within a week of me moving to Spain, I met a writer and then I met the producers for Vicky, Christina, Barcelona. And so this job kept following me, even though like I had left it, it kept following. And then I started booking a writer and he booked Law and Order and we started booking scripts and he was making great money and my relationship fell apart. I came back to Vancouver with two actors in 2011 and I had to rebuild the company again from scratch. What did so, you learn? Okay. So what so was it one, like? One quick thing, Matthew, what's yeah. crazy is when you were talking about New Orleans, the one show, how crazy is this? The, when I landed back in Vancouver, I booked a client on a show called Breakout Kings and it shot in Baton Rouge. So that's why I knew the timing when you were talking about New Orleans. So how crazy is that? I came back and I had to really restart all over again. But because I, I had these two actors that would not leave my side, I still had my toe in the water. So I just had to crank that open and start again. And were they working and making money? So one was, uh, but both of them weren't really when I was in Spain. But the moment I got back to Vancouver, I booked a series. So I booked one of them on a series regular for Breakout Kings for USA Network. And thank God, I mean, that kind of fueled the fire. But I, I mean, I came back with nothing. I was actually in an abusive relationship in Barcelona. I came back. I weighed 20 pounds lighter. I had two weeks in my family home to get back on my feet. And I had to find a place to live. And at the time, my daughter was 12. And I had to start start finding actors again. I hit the pavement. So now it's so been 11 years since I've been back. What did you, what did, what was different about the first time at the gate and then coming back and rebuilding? Had you learned anything from the, from the prior experiences? Did you build it differently because I of- your, I did it very different. Yeah. What'd you do? I, what, what I think was the biggest- change was when I came back, I actually called a couple of casting directors because I had offers to actually join agencies. When I came back, the word went around that I was back and I 
was floating. I mean, I still own performers management, but you know, I was looking to see what other options. So I had some options to join bigger agencies and I called a couple of casting directors who I treasure and they said, Michelle, we don't see you working with anybody. We love you on your own. So I thought, okay, here we go. But the difference was this time I was not going to represent anyone that I didn't love. I used to rep because I thought I had to, because I wanted to rep the ones that I thought would make good money. And then obviously also have good relationships, but I was taking some beatings in my first 10 years that I promised myself I'd never do again. Beatings in what way though? I want to hear like, because you, you didn't trust them as a human because they, they, you had an instinct about them that maybe you, but you, you went against your own instinct because you thought, well, but they're going to make me money. But yeah, it ended well, up, yeah. yeah, because at that time, for me, any dollar counted. I was in a, a state of just creating something. I mean, believe me, I still put my heart and soul into it. I still believed in all my actors, but some of them wouldn't pay me because back in the day, the check kept, came to the client. They had to write me a check. They'd bounce my checks all the time. So I'd go six months and they'd be owed $3,000 and I would never see it. So I was, and it was also just rudeness. People would talk to me poorly if they lost a job or let's say they were testing and their sides, as we know, sides change. When you go to a test, sometimes they change the night before (laughs) and the clients would get angry at me because they were so scared. It was fear. But at the time I didn't understand that. I just thought they're yelling at me that I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm going to lose this client instead of they're just scared. They're worried they're going to tank their test just calm them down. So as the years, of course, I've grown and I've learned definitely how to uh, work with a lot of different you know, personalities. But no, the second time around was quality over quantity and just really great people. That's a recurring theme here. It's, uh, you know, kind of following your instinct, following your gut and knowing if it feels too good to be true. Sometimes it is like, if you think that there's something off that a lot of times there, (laughs) there ends up being something that's a little bit off. Um, I want to ask you three questions before I let you go. Um, the first one is the word no means what to you? Nothing has no, no meaning. I hear no. I'm like, great. We're doing it. To me, a no is like facing a massive mountain. You're like, okay, well I could climb it, go around it, channel through it. So that's no means nothing. Has it always been that way? No, (laughs) it didn't mean something years ago. I think it was the resilience of getting through all this. The worst part is I, well, not the worst part. I'm a super shy person. Before this happened to me, I I was very, very shy and I had to learn to come out and be this different person. And I feel like when I'm an agent, I put on a different kind of persona. When I come home, I'm a lot softer and gentler, but in this business, you definitely have to be a tiger. So was there one moment that switched it for you that made those no's your relationship to no change? Any, any? Yeah, it was my father said to me, don't do this. When I was holding this newborn baby, he says, don't do this. You've never done this before. Why are you, what are you thinking? You have to take care of this baby. Don't do it. I'm like, no, dad, I'm going to do it. It was, it was him saying, and I also had another agent that I knew from when I was a young person. They're like, you'll never make it. You know what? Dare me to not make it. I will show you. I will do circles around you. So 
that agent retired 10 years ago. And believe me, I did a lot of circles around him. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay. What about, uh, when everything falls apart, which maybe was, I don't know if Barcelona was that, but when things go sideways, okay. So (laughs) Barcelona, when things go sideways, when you, when it looks like it's just completely lost, do you have a go-to mantra? I've been, it's funny, mantras, I didn't realize, I didn't put a name on it before, but I think, yes, I've always believed that you have to have a why and you have to have a passion and you have to have a reason to get up every day. So for me, it's always like, what magic can I do today? What magic can I create today? What special thing can I do today? So, but my big things are, I have to feel supported. I have to feel loved. So I have to constantly say like, you are supported you got this, you are loved. But I've been reading Gabrielle Bernstein. Have you ever read her books? No, Gabby Bernstein. I know I, yeah. I have, it's funny. We have, uh, you know, from when we're recording this, Marie Forleo is our guest tomorrow and she and Gabby Bernstein. And there's another, there's a guy that are all kind of the three that Oprah says are like the, the voice of a new generation. Yeah. Uh, if you need to I, read I don't know Gabby Bernstein. Yeah. Check out, uh, I love super tractor. That's her latest, but it's all about kind of creating your life from joy. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but she means it more in like service, be of service, but do it from the heart. So whatever you do in your life, if you have passion, you're going to be successful as long as you have passion. But she does this other book called Universe Has Your Back. And I think right now we definitely need the universe to say it has our back. Yeah. So her books are great. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll get her on the show. She, I, I, do know, I do know her name and I actually think she lives in my sister-in-law's town. So we're going, this is making me say I'm going to go, go seek her out. Um, yeah. Last one, if you could give your younger self advice what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Uh, that would have been 18. Don't get married at 19. <laughs> uh, travel the world and learn who you are before you choose a partner. Uh, because again, that, that decision that I made so young, and it's because my mom had passed away when I was 16 of cancer. So I kind of threw myself in this world of like, well, it doesn't matter what I do because I don't think I'm going to live that long and it doesn't have any kind of repercussions. I could just live out. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, take your time, make good decisions, make good decisions. That's the biggest thing I would want to go back and say, are you sure? Make good decisions. And then I would have probably gone to school and I would have loved to have worked in healing and being a doctor. So, but this is what happened. I got married, had a baby and became an agent. So I guess it was meant to be. And I know I said it was only three questions, but is your daughter in the business? No, she's amazing. She's in school. She's wants to work in linguistics. She's 23 now. That's great. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we were able to do this. I'm, I'm really, uh, I I love your, your thoughts on, uh, just everything that you're talking about, just the, the resilience. And it's just inspiring to know that you kind of uh, had a, had a major hiccup at that age and turned it into this incredible career. So I, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right. Time for my top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, you can do anything you set your mind to. 
The odds were stacked against Michelle, but she built a successful business anyway. She didn't give herself an out. And her grit from literally knocking on doors and cold calling got her to where she is today. Instead of seeing a no or this isn't possible or I was like, I can make this happen. Number two, show up. I mean, you heard my reaction in the interview. I am just flabbergasted that people just don't show up. And it sounds like it's not that uncommon. Here's the takeaway. When opportunity comes knocking, whether it's an interview with an agent or a big meeting with an investor or a potential date sitting across a crowded room from you, don't talk yourself out of showing up. I mean, even if you get kicked to the curb and left in the rain, at least show up for God's sake. We have people that just don't show up. They're complete no-shows with no notice. And number three, the word no only has the power that you give it. I hear no, I'm like, great, we're doing it. To me, a no is like facing a massive mountain. You're like, okay, well, I could climb it, go around it, channel through it. So that's no means nothing. All right, Michelle, thank you again. I hope all of you, especially the actors, feel inspired. As I said, go check out Michelle's new podcast, Inside the Agency, and check out our show notes at 10,000knows.com for more ways to connect with Michelle if you want to. And please share this episode with your friends and followers if you think it can help them to hear it. Leave a review or take a screenshot on your phone and post it to your social media. Be sure to tag 10,000 knows or Maddie Dell if you post it to social so we can thank you. And connect with us at 10,000knows.com and get added to our mailing list. We'd love to have you. And don't forget to tune in for our brief little Monday morsels to kick off your week. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.